Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Recording Podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. starting a new series tonight and it's called Overcome and it's actually uh, the perfect series I think to follow up our reckless worship series because in our worship series we learned um, the definition of worship which is our whole heart our whole life response head heart and hands to who God is and what he's done and when we start living into that definition we run into barriers and obstacles that are holding us back And so this Overcome series is going to help us figure out what those obstacles are, figure out how to overcome them so that we can live, as the song said earlier, in freedom. So we're going to start out this new series tonight, Overcome, with this obstacle of identity. And it seems kind of simple, right? Like we know what our identity is, right? What is identity? Our identities are who we are, right? My identity is what makes me me. So we can say that the identity, identity answers the question, who am I? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. But we need to figure out why it's an obstacle. And if it wasn't an obstacle, the phrase identity crisis probably wouldn't exist, right? So why is our identity an obstacle? And how do we figure out what, where that obstacle comes up in our lives and how do we overcome it? So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But first... Let me just share with you about some of my identity issues. If you were um, around five years ago, you would have found me at home with four of my own kids, eight and under, and watching two other kids during the day who at the time were two and a half and eight months. And they were pretty much the same age as my youngest two. So during the day, I would send two kids off to school, praise God, or I would not be here today. I sent two kids off to school during the day, but that means I was at home with four kids, two and a half and under, every single day. So what does that equal? Does anybody have any idea? Two and a half and under, that's that's a whole lot of diapers is what it is. That's a whole lot of diapers and everything else. So four kids, two and a half and under, pretty much I did everything for them, right? So I'm at home with all these kids. That's what I feel like I'm doing every day is just changing diapers. That's all I did, change diapers, wipe snotty noses, clean up messes, feed kids. That's where I was at. And at night when it was quiet, if it was quiet, because we all know that kids don't always sleep every night, but on the nights that it was quiet, I would turn to my husband, Mike, and I would just say, who am I? Is this it? Is this who I am? I mean, I know I'm a wife. I know I'm a mom, a nurse, a doctor, a hazmat crew member with all those diapers, but is that who I am? Who am I? So what question was I really asking? What question was I really asking? So what happens is when we ask the question, who am I, it actually starts us on a journey of finding meaning, right? That's why the world is in an identity crisis, because we're searching for meaning and purpose, right? I wanted something deeper. I wanted to be known as something more than just a diaper changer. So that's where I was. But what was happening is I was taking fragments of my identity and presenting it as the whole of who I am. And those fragments didn't 
equal what I wanted them to equal. So when we pick these fragments, we usually pick pieces to present to the world that make us look good, right? That make us feel successful, make us look like we're, we've got it all together. Those are the fragments we present, but they're not the whole of who we are. So what happens when you're talking to someone new? What's the very first question that you usually get asked when you're talking to someone who doesn't know you? What do you do? And where does that lead usually? Where'd you go to school? What kind of, people ask you that question? Really? I need to talk to you more often. What's new in your world? Guys, Shelby's question is great. What's new in your world? But usually, the most common question is, what do you do? Where did you go to school? All of these kind of questions that aren't bad questions, but the problem is we don't always have the right answers, right? Or they don't feel like the right answers. So we're left in this spot of figuring out which fragment do I present at the right moment so I look like I'm measuring up. So the world filters the identity question through three things. Well, mostly three things, but there, it's I am what I have, I am what I do, and I am what people say and think about me. So if we don't have fragments that, equal these, that are equal to these statements, then we're left kind of in this place feeling like we don't measure up. So five years ago, when I would undig myself from all the diapers and I would go out and be amongst the people, when I would go with my husband to work events, what were the questions that were being asked me? Who are you? Like, what do you do? Well, I stay at home with four kids and I babysit two others. Oh, okay. What did you do before then? I worked as a receptionist in doctor's office so I could pay for my husband to <laughs> get his master's degree. What, did you go to school? Nope, I got married when I was 19, did not go to school. Do you go to school now? I have four kids, that takes a lot of time, so no, I don't go to school now. So the thing is, the questions that people were asking me weren't bad questions. The answers that I even gave weren't bad answers to give. It's not about the questions being bad or the answers being bad. What's about is those fragments that I was presenting as the whole of who I was left me feeling like I, was, I didn't measure up because I couldn't hold it up to the world standards and felt like I was up there with it. So my identity wasn't the whole of who I was, what I was presenting, and I was left feeling like I didn't measure up, and I was left doubting my calling of being a stay-at-home mom at the time, because ultimately, I doubted my worth. And I think there is where we need to find and figure out, I think that's where we're gonna find and figure out where the answer is to this identity crisis. Because I think the reason that, I, that our identity is such an obstacle for us is because we answer the identity question before we answer the dignity question. So if identity answers the question, who am I? Dignity answers the question, what am I worth? So this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the questions aren't interchangeable, but the, the identity question should flow out of the dignity question, right? So again, they're not interchangeable, but I feel like the who I am should flow out of what am I worth? And I feel like our, the reason that we're in a crisis of, with our identity is because we don't understand our worth, we don't know our worth, or... We know it and we just don't believe it. And I'm guessing that most of us fall in that third category. We know it, we know our worth, we just don't believe it. So then we're left in this crisis and we doubt our dignity, which makes 
our identity um, unstable as well. So what happens is the world separates identity and dignity, and then it filters our identity through what we do, what we have, and what is said and thought of us. And then we wonder why we doubt our dignity. We doubt what we're worth. So there's many different results for these statements, right? So what happens is when the world asks, what do we do? We present the piece that's pretty, right? Like I can say, oh, I do this. This is my job. This is what I do. But then there's these other fragments. There's other pieces to our identity that we find in the shadows of our souls. And that's maybe what we've done, the mistakes and failures that we've we have in our life that we want to hide from other people. So we keep them hidden in the shadows. Or we'll present to the world what I have in the form of degrees, the toys I have, the things that I have. But deep down in the shadows of our souls, we're hiding scars. We're hiding pain and we're hiding tears. And those are the fragments that we don't want the world to see. So we hide them from the world. And then ultimately, what the world says about us what they're saying and thinking of us isn't even true because they don't have the whole picture. We've hidden some of it. The problem is those, those um, shadow fragments, the part that we hide in, our sh in the shadows of our souls, they're a part of our identity until we turn them over to the Lord so he can remake them. So we have these pieces, these fragments of yucky stuff deep inside of us that are a part of our, our identity. So when we try to present ourselves to the world, we can't do it because these, we're not presenting the whole, we're only presenting part of a whole. But the problem is part of these pieces that are in us that need to be a part of our identity are yucky pieces. Not necessarily because they need to be yucky, we just let them be yucky because we don't expose them to the light. We keep them in the shadows. We don't let God do anything with them. So then we're broken in our identities. And all of that stems from our unwillingness to our, un, our, not our unwillingness, but our doubt in our dignities, what we're worth. So I believe in the shadows of our souls, we leave these pieces untouched because that's where we store and hide our shame, right? If we have to uncover these fragments, these pieces, then we have to dig through this pile of shame that we don't even want to walk through. We just want to leave it there. We don't want it to see the light of day. We don't want anybody to know about it. And we pretend like God doesn't know about it, right? So we leave it there. And I'm going to go off on a rabbit trail for a second because I feel like it needs to be said. This is like my soapbox, so I'm just going to stand on it, and you have to listen to me because I'm standing up here and you are not. So <laughs> you're going to listen for a minute. <laughs> I think the biggest issue with Christians, Christ followers, in social media today is shame. Because what's the very first thing that happens when someone on social media has a big failure? What do we do and say? Do we say, do we see, do we say, did you see what so-and-so did? Did you see what they did? Because I would never, could never do that. I would never, ever, ever do that. And you know what? Let me just tell you, that is a lie because you could do that. You could do that. Every single person, every single person on the face of this planet has the ability to fail majorly in their life. And the first time that you say you could never do that, you pick up the shovel and you heap shame on your fellow man. And that is not what God is about. 
God is about love. We should not be heaping shame on everyone. Put down the shovel, love your fellow man, because God is not about shame. So that's my rabbit trail. You're welcome. (laughs) So how do we overcome our dignity doubt? How do we overcome our dignity issues? Because we're never going to have confidence in our identity if we don't understand, know, or believe our dignity. We have to weed through the lies, right? So most of us work backwards, don't we? We think the more attractive our identity is, the more worth I have, right? So the world says I need all these things, and if I get all of these things, what I have, what I say, what I do, all of that stuff, if we have all of these things, then I will have value. That's not how it works. It's actually the opposite. We want our identity to flow from our dignity, but those are all lies that we have to work through. So, if our identity flows out of our dignity and not the other way around, why is it that we have all these lies that we just take hold of and we believe? What lies are we believing? Where do the lies come from? Maybe in the area of what we do, the lie I believe is if I get that great job, then I'll have value, I'll have worth. If I join a nonprofit organization, then I'll have value and the world will see me as worthy. If I get the big house, whatever it is, you know what it is, fill in the blank in your own life, then I'll have worth. In the area of what we have, if I get that new car, then people will know that I am worth something. If I get all the new toys, if I have the the best phone there is, then people are going to know that I am worth something. And what people say and think, if that person says that they like me, then I must have value because they're a pretty cool person. If that person says that they love me, then I have value. That's that's a lie. These are all lies. What other lies are you believing? I'm not lovable, so I don't have worth. No one needs me, so I don't have value. I haven't achieved enough, so I must not be worth anything. The biggest lie for me is I'm a failure. I didn't do it right, so I must not have any value. What lies are you believing? God doesn't really care about me. I'm all alone. There's no one there for me. That my dreams don't matter. That what so-and-so said about me is true. What lies are you believing? I want you to think about it for a second. Like, I don't want this to just be a passing thing. Really think about it. What lies are you believing in your life that are holding you back, that are keeping you from overcoming? What lies are you believing? Let it come to your mind. You don't have to say it out loud, but let it come to your mind. Let it rise up. Don't suppress it any longer. What lies are you believing? I'm going to do the awkward silence thing so you can actually think about it. What lies are you believing? Me just standing right here, there's been quite a few that popped in my head. What lies are you believing? Here's what I want to know. Who told you that? Who told you that was true? Who told you that? Who told you it was true? 
was a priest visiting a local Catholic school for an assembly. He's been going, he was going around speaking in assemblies. And after the assembly, a little girl, maybe th- third or fourth grade, comes up to them, comes up to him, and they're having a conversation. Just a few minutes into it, she stops and exclaims, you can't see me. And the priest just chuckles, and he's like, that's not news to me. I've been blind my whole life. And she just was quiet for a minute, and she just stood there. And then she kind of sadly says, does that mean you don't know what you look like? And the priest just thought, that's a profound statement from such a young girl. So he's just quiet, not saying anything. And then he feels her hands on his face. She reaches up and grabs his face. And she says quietly to his face, you are beautiful. Who told you you weren't beautiful? Who told you that you weren't lovable? Who told you to be ashamed? Who told you that the guilt was yours to carry? Who told you that you have to live in fear? Who told you that you have to live in bondage? Who told you that? Who told you that? Someone told you that. Who told you that? Who told you that you have to have all the stuff or you will have no value? Who told you that the the primary leaders of whatever you're in have to need you or you have no value? Who told you that you have a bunch of checklist marks that you have to mark off to achieve during the day or you have no value? Who told you that you can never make a mistake? Who told you that you have to carry around those mistakes in your soul? Who told you that? Because I can tell you it was not God. God did not tell you that. Who told you that? John 8, the Pharisees bring a woman caught in adultery before Jesus. And what did they want him to do? They wanted him to shame her, to condemn her. And this is what he told the Pharisees. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Who told you that? The father of lies did. Who told you that? You know why he told you that? Because that's his job. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It is his job to tell you that. And not only tell you that, make sure you believe it. Make sure you believe it. It's his job to tear you down. This, this is what I think is happening, though. We look at this passage of Scripture, and don't we have a tendency just to gloss over it? I don't know why we do. I mean, it says we have an enemy who's like a lion, but yet we just push it aside. Why do we do that? We downplay it because we want to pretend that someone told us we're not in a battle. We want to pretend like there's nothing for us to fight. We want to pretend like it's not true because it's easier that way. We think it is, but it's not. We cannot downplay this because Satan is, he is in existence 
and he will tear your life apart. And all you have to do is believe his lies. We're letting him tear our lives apart because we pretend like he is not there. Why do we pretend like he is not there? Because you know what? I'd feel a little silly if I was talking to the air around me. That's not air, guys. He's there. And it's up to us to tell him to leave us alone. And I might feel silly talking because you have to talk because Satan is not God, so he can't read your mind, so you have to say it out loud. I might feel kind of silly telling Satan to leave me alone. Are you going to feel silly when he sinks his teeth into your soul and tears apart your dignity and takes away your identity? Because that's what happens. That's what he does. He makes you doubt your identity, and when he makes you doubt your identity, you're led, or your dignity, he makes you doubt your dignity, and when you doubt your dignity, he owns your identity because of the lies. But the sad part is we look around, and we're enslaved in all of this, and we think someone else put us there. We did it ourselves because we pretend like we don't have an enemy. We have an enemy And until we admit it and do something about it and fight for our dignity, he's going to keep winning. And we're going to keep ending up with the scars. Who told you that you don't have an enemy? Because you have one. And he's prowling around. And he's just waiting for the right moment to knock you to your knees again. Are you going to let him? We're told that when we follow God, we have freedom. John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. But we choose to live trapped by the lies, right? It's our choice to be in bondage because we continue to let him control our lives with his lies. And when our dignity, when that happens... Our dignity becomes a part of our history instead of our legacy. No one can determine your value. No one can take away your value. Because it was imprinted on you the very second you were created. Genesis 1.27 says that God created all man with his image in us. So that is where my dignity starts. That is where my value starts. It was stamped on me the second. It was ascribed to me the second I was created. When I choose to follow him, it's activated. The source we need to overcome our dignity and identity doubts is in us. It's already there. We have everything we need. We just have to connect to it. We have to fight for it. We have to want it. So, have you guys seen the Iron Man movies? I'm going to pretend like I know what I'm talking about, because my boys like the Iron Man movies. (laughs) But I will say, they make me giggle. Not many movies make me giggle, but they make me giggle. Mike thinks that's funny, that the Iron Man movies make me giggle. But other than that, I only pay half attention. So, I'm going to try to use this as an example. You guys can help me out if I need help, okay? So, what's this whole arc reactor thing? You guys don't watch? What? A power source. Okay. So why did Tony Stark need the arc reactor? What? Yes. I was right. 
<laughs> I'm excited about that. Okay. Um, so what happened was Tony Stark was, what was he, kidnapped or something in a war zone, and he gets shrapnel, he's got shrapnel in his heart, and he, near his heart, and he has to do something so that it doesn't pierce his heart, right? So he puts this arc reactor in himself, and it keeps the shrapnel from piercing his heart and killing him, correct? Got that right? Okay. So, and then the arc reactor then becomes, later on, the power source for his fancy suit. Yes? Got it right. Okay. All right. So... This sounds really silly, and if you ask me, bring this up later in front of other people, I'm going to deny it, so just so you're aware. But, oh. all right, well, you're still going to hear about it, uh, even though it's embarrassing. All right, seriously, though, when I was watching these movies, when that arc reactor thing kind of lights up, I, the passage in Genesis 127 came to my mind. I was like, oh, that's kind of like the image of God imprinted on me. And when I tap into that, when I choose to follow God with my life and his spirit is put in me, then that kind of activates that power source and it kind of lights up inside of me, right? Do you guys picture it? Come on, someone help me out here. <laughs> you, <laughs> you have to help me out. And don't ever repeat that. Uh, <laughs> no, we're going to edit that out. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's that picture in my, that I feel inside of me. Like, that's what it is. That's the Spirit of God is activated inside of me. But that power source is only activated if I choose to plug into it, right? So the Spirit is, the spirit is in me. I just have to activate it. So we get, when the Lord created us, we get an, His image in us. And then when we choose to follow God, we get the Spirit that activates the power. But we also get a new name, right? So my seven-year-old, Kaden, she informed me the other day that she hates her name. Kaden, I don't know why, what's wrong with that name, but she doesn't like it, and she wants to change it. And I was like, she wants me to help her. I was like, no, ma'am, I gave you that name. It's my job. I get to give you the name. When you have your own kids, you can name them whatever you want. And she's like, well, just so you know, when I'm old enough, I'm changing my name, and it's going to be Cat, spelled C-A-T. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, you can do that. So that's what we get. If you don't like your name, don't worry about it, because when you choose to follow God, you get a new one. And that's Romans 8. <laughs> And um, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So he puts his mark on us, gives us his name, and we are adopted, which means our inheritance is that of a natural-born son, right? And then we are blessed with all the spiritual blessings. Um, Ephesians 1.3 tells us that, and we'll find the word adoption in that passage again. So when we choose to follow God, we are given all of this. That is what our dignity is stemmed out of. So no one can question that. No one can take that from us, but we have to choose to believe it and live into it, right? And when we live into that dignity, then our identity is secure, and we have the ability to tap into our power source and fight the enemy, fight the enemy that is trying with his lies to steal our souls. That's what he wants, right? So who told you that? Come on, who told you that? Come on, if you can't say his name in here, then you can't say it out there when he's after you. Who told you that? The devil. The, devil, the enemy told you that. And as soon as you believe that, you can counteract all of these lies 
with the truth of who God said you were, and that is his child, his heir, an heir to everything that he has given. Every promise in that Bible is yours. You have to take hold of it, though. You have to take hold of it. So who told you when you hold up those lies, who told you that against who God told you? They don't exist anymore, do they? So claim the truth. Claim the truth in that. Don't let anybody tell you that you aren't beautiful. Don't let anybody tell you that you have no value. Don't let anybody tell you that you aren't lovable, because it is not true. God stamped himself inside of you, and you have the ability to activate that through his spirit. And you have the ability to say, Satan, get away from me, because God has claimed me as his own, and you have no right to me. But you have to tell him. You have to tell him. Take it. If you're living in slavery, if you're believing the lies, it's because you're doing it. I'm doing it. And I did right up into this moment. Right up into this moment, I was living in a spirit of fear. And my husband's car has the devil not in it anymore. Because I said, leave me alone. Leave me alone. I pray that in my house, in my kid's room, I enter their room and I say, in the name of Jesus, devil, you get out of here. It sounds silly, doesn't it? But it's needed because he prowls around and he sneaks in and he will take a chunk out of your soul. That's his job. That's why he is here. And you have to tell him no more because I have the image of God in me. I am a child of the king. I am his daughter. I am his son. And you have no claim over me. You have to tell him though, fight for it. The world says it's what you do that makes you important. The only way that is true, if what you're doing is fighting for the truth, against all those lies. The world says what you have is important. The only way that is true is if what you have is your adoption papers that say you are a daughter, you are a son of God. That you have the inheritance, every spiritual blessing is yours. The world says that what people say about you is important. The only way that's true is if what they're saying is, I see that you're a child of God. We have a choice. We can say, I'm going to continue to believe those lies. I'm going to hide those fragments of my identity, identity deep down inside of me and not let the light of day see them. But we have the source of power in us. If we expose those fragments to the light, then the Satan has no hold of us because he likes what's in the darkness. If there's nothing there, then there's nothing to fight for, right? Expose them because God wants to take them. He wants to make them beautiful. You just have to let him. You just have to let him. But please leave here tonight knowing that you have an enemy and he will take you down if you let him. In order to overcome our identity crisis, we have to believe our worth, our dignity, and we have to live out of that. And our identity will stand firm if we constantly believe our worth. But it takes practice. What are you going to put into practice in your life so that you can be reminded daily of who you are, so that you can be reminded to combat those lies? As we go into worship, our stations will be open. 
You'll notice that our um, confession stonewashing station isn't here tonight. There's a new one, and they'll let you know what that is in a few minutes. But the cross is open. As you go into that, think about what practice, what do I need to get rid of in my life that's keeping me hanging on to the lies, and what do I need to take hold of in my life? What do I need to put into practice so I remember who I am? Go, spend time at the cross. You can kneel there, you can pray there. Have the Lord, ask the Lord to speak to you what that is. Put the burden on the cross and remember that when you give it to him, it's no more. You can walk away free of it. Maybe you need to be reminded of the sacrifice God made for you in light of what you now remember and recall about who you are. And you need to spend some time at the communion station, participate in communion, so that you can hold up to the light of day who you are and hold it against the reminder of what God's done for you, and you can live into that. Because your dignity was given to you the second you were created. No one can take that from you. But it's your job to believe it and fight for it. And then your identity is secure. God, as we go into this worship time, I pray, God, that none of us would leave here with a lie still hidden in our heart. God, I pray that you would reveal to us what it is that's holding us back, that this would no longer be an obstacle, that we would be overcomers, God, that we would be believe who it is you say we are. We would live into that, that inheritance of what's ours, that adoption paper that says, I am your child, that we would believe that, God, that we would be reminded that we do have an enemy. And God, we ask that you would give us courage to fight him. God, take these lies and remove them. Help us to live in freedom of who we believe we are. Help us to claim our dignity in you so that our identity is secure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.